What I'd like to talk about this evening is meditation as a sacred journey. As we explore meditation, I think it becomes increasingly clear to us over time that meditation involves a little bit more than just being a kind of relaxation technique or a technique for improving ourselves in different ways. That meditation is somewhat more than just a kind of a dry and technical expertise that we can learn. But actually the very heart of the contemplative tradition is that meditation is a vehicle simply that we employ in a kind of quest for what we might call the sacred, a quest for something greater or vaster than our own individuality. Meditation is just one expression of what it's certainly not the owner of that journey and that sense of there being something sacred or a quest for it is certainly not confined to meditation, to Buddhism, to Christianity or to any other particular tradition. That quest for the something sacred can take a whole variety and does take a whole variety of different forms in people's lives. Sometimes we look at people who live with incredible dedication, with wholehearted commitment in different areas of their lives, whether it is in creating and painting and dancing, the commitment that leads a person to give the whole of their lives to serving the poor or the sick, the dedication that leads a person to give themselves wholeheartedly to a life of contemplation, exploration, and stillness. And there's a a very central theme that runs through these variety of expressions. And what we see, I think, is that in different times and in different places and in different ways, People respond to an inner call. People respond to a yearning for attunement, for oneness, and seek to make visible in different ways the underlying harmony, the underlying grace they sense to be true. And people seek to make visible in different ways their own attunement with something, a way of being that they sense as sacred, the suchness of life, through service, through vocation, through creativity. I think a quality of reverence is actually given. Reverence is given to the sacred. It is a quest for a way of being, a way of living, which really doesn't bear any marks of separation, of division, or conflict. That kind of commitment that people are called to, 
uh, that kind of inner yearning is really possibly no different at all from the quality of inner yearning that we experience that inspires us to make particular choices and directions in our lives. We see different times in our lives we we search for happiness because we sense that there is a, a quality of abiding happiness possible for us. We search for love because we sense there is a possibility of a a heart connectedness, an openness of heart, which brings and can bring great joy. We search for a sense of meaning. Meaning becomes important to us in our relationships, in our work. We seek to understand how to be creative, how to be spontaneous. The kind of inner call that is really magnetized mystics and people through time is the same call that we respond to when we find ourselves searching both inwardly and outwardly for a quality of depth in our lives. When we find ourselves seeking to discover a way of being and a way of seeing with the separations and the differences that seem so apparent and so solid to our sense doors and our minds really do begin to dissolve. Our own inner search is inspired by different sources. Sometimes I think we just become somewhat tired and disillusioned with the life of kind of temporary pleasures and seemingly less temporary pains. We become tired and disillusioned with a life that revolves around success and possessions and gratification. And somehow this seems we lose interest in this. It ceases to offer any great excitement or interest anymore. Sometimes we are expired, inspired by our own experiences. Many of us find that we have moments in our lives of real profound sense of connectedness, moments where we unpredictably can experience a great stillness, a great sensitivity, a great sense of open-heartedness. These experiences are often random, we can't foresee them, and yet when they take place, they make a really profound impact on our consciousness. We begin to think of what might be possible. Sometimes we have real glimpses of connectedness and non-separateness, glimpses of the power of love, of open-heartedness. And we are inspired by those experiences. We're inspired by the example of different teachers and people we respect who have really transformed and touched the world around them with the power of their own commitment, the power of their own love and wisdom. Those examples and those experiences 
they encourage us. They encourage us to reach really beyond the boundaries of our personal world, to perhaps reach beyond the boundaries of our own individuality. Those experiences and examples, I think, encourage and inspire us to to reach for a quality of greatness or vastness, not material greatness, but instead a greatness of heart, a vastness of being, which begins to feel increasingly possible. These people in our lives we respect, our own inner experiences, deliver to us really a very singular message, that there is actually more to being alive and to being awake than just the pursuit of our own individual gratification and satisfaction. That there is more to life than just a struggle with separation and division and all the conflicts it brings. There's actually more to ourselves than just the capacity to strive for security or comfort or pleasure. I think in a spiritual journey, what we really do is we really need to listen very closely to those messages. We begin to absorb them within ourselves. They lead us to question, they lead us to explore, to go beyond the superficial. And we begin to see really what our own challenges are in our life. Our challenges are not about having a concentrated mind. Our challenges are not about having a spiritual portfolio. Our challenges really are about knowing a quality of inner freedom from separation. Our challenges are really responding to our own potential to learn to see the sacred in everything and everywhere, to learn to leave behind a world of struggle, a life of conflict, and instead to discover a real richness and love and reverence. Now those challenges and this whole journey is not easy and I would not in any way want to minimize the difficulties and the challenges that we face. What is really important is not to separate the difficult and the challenging from our own quest to understand really what is sacred. Part of understanding and nurturing greatness of heart begins with our own willingness to open to and to learn from the obstacles that we meet. Non-separation really begins when we don't actually separate the sacred, the vast, from the difficulties that we're facing in the very moment. Again and again in our lives, we find ourselves faced with different choices. And one of the most crucial choices that we're faced with is the choice between despair and response. 
the choice between despair and the willingness to lie. That choice we meet again and again every time in our own journeys. We find ourselves meeting challenges, demons, meeting obstacles. We face that choice. All of us, I'm sure, at different times in our lives and in our own journeys, make mistakes. Our challenge is to learn from them so that we don't repeat them. We meet in this journey disappointment, frustration, resentment, because we don't always find inwardly or outwardly the qualities of love and harmony in the places that we're seeking for them. If we don't, if we choose to spare in our lives, we sink. We sink into passivity. If we choose to spare of a response in relationship to the obstacles, our challenges, our mistakes, it is so easy to become kind of bitter and cynical and mistrustful, not only of the past or the world around us, but also of ourselves. And the greatest tragedy in life is to have bitterness or cynicism as a companion. It is not surprising that it is possible for that to arise. You know, because we find ourselves so often our lives making these kind of journeys, seeking for something, and finding not always what we seek for. We, we find ourselves turning towards relationships, seeking for love, seeking for oneness, seeking for attunement. And what many people find is that relationships are at times fickle, that at times we end up hurt or feeling rejected. And if we choose despair rather than, restru- rather than response, we conclude that love is something extraordinarily limited. It's a kind of fantasy or just security. We find ourselves again and again in our lives looking for happiness, seeking happiness, seeking peace. And often I think it is true that we are somewhat misguided in the places that we search for happiness. So often the happiness that we find is very short-lived. It's dependent upon objects. It's dependent upon pleasure. And then it passes away and we find ourselves sinking into unhappiness and discontent. And at times we conclude, well, there's really no such thing as abiding happiness. You know, this is somebody's fantasy, somebody's story. And if there's no such thing as abiding happiness, then it seems more attractive to settle for momentary gratification. Sometimes people begin in the spiritual journey really longing for uh, enlightenment, for awakening, with a great sense of faith that there is such a thing as enlightenment. There is such a thing as being truly awake. And yet they practice, follow the path and follow the instructions, and sometimes feel disappointed. Let down by their teaching, let down by their tradition, let down by themselves. And sometimes then just feel, well, you know, maybe there really isn't such a thing as freedom. Maybe there isn't some, such a thing as enlightenment. And I'm probably better off if I just resign myself to accumulating some good karma or having a, 
a few high meditation experiences, or to just becoming a better person. You know, it does happen that people come into the spiritual life and they say, I'm really not that interested in liberation. I'm just not that interested in liberation. I want meditation to help me to be a better person, a kinder person, a calmer person. And it's not to say that that's not a good enough motivation for practice. It's a fine motivation for practice. And the practice does offer us the possibility of learning greater sensitivity and skillfulness and care and mindfulness in our lives. But this practice is a constant invitation. It is a constant invitation to go beyond little bits, the confines of our conclusions and our descriptions and our images, to settle not for boundaries, but to reach for horizons. This practice is a constant reminder and an invitation that there actually is that which is sacred. It is actually possible for us to awaken to a true sense of greatness and vastness of being in which there's no separation and no division and no conflict and no disconnection. Probably the greatest obstacle that we encounter in our search for something sacred is to look for it in places which seem unable to offer it to us. You know, sometimes we look at the world around us and what do we see when we look at the world around us? It's not really that great a picture. You know, we see exploitation, we see violence, we see conflict, we see people alienated from each other, we see suffering and real sorrow in the lives of many people. And sometimes we just see tackiness, you know, this kind of dedication to superficiality which really can consume, be consuming in our culture. And I think when we look at the world around us, it's very easy for us to conclude that there's very little sacred here. This is just a kind of sea of different objects and different people kind of floating together or drifting together, sometimes colliding, sometimes drifting apart. But it's very easy for us to conclude that there is very little in this world that is worthy of giving reverence to. And then we dismiss the world. You know, our options are getting more limited. If the sacred's not out there, if it is not in the world around us, then we look inwardly. And sometimes this too is disappointing. Then we look inwardly and sometimes it's hard really to find anything that fits in with our idea of what is sacred. You know, we see our minds kind of entangled in their judgments and entangled in their pettiness at times and their nonsense and at times we see thoughts we would rather not be possessors of at times we see this little silence and seemingly little harmony and we again conclude well, the sacred is not within all this you know certainly it would be a mistake to give any quality of reverence to this chaos and then the conclusion that we seem to be left with 
Is it really if there is such a thing as sacred, the sacred, if there really is such a thing as liberation, if there really is such a thing as freedom, then it really must lie somewhere else. It really must lie in some other time, some other place, some other dimension. It must be some kind of experience that we're going to attain or, or get or some kind of revelation for us. Now, what does that conclusion do? That conclusion has threaded its way through spiritual history. And it threads its way through the lives of many people. What kind of relationship do we have to now when we conclude that the sacred lies elsewhere? So often then our relationship to now, our relationship to the outer world, our relationship to the inner world, is a relationship of withdrawal, of disconnection, of aversion. Sometimes looking with a kind of contempt even upon the imperfections of our world and upon our personal imperfections. And we strive then for experiences, for attainments, as we reject the present moment. And this is a great failure of spiritual life, a historical failure and a contemporary failure to be able to sort of reach for the heavens with one hand as we destroy the world with the other, or to reach for enlightenment with one hand as we simply disregard or don't take care of the immediacy of both our outer world and our inner world, reaching for spiritual perfection with part of ourselves. While it's easy to perpetuate fragmentation and conflict with another part of ourselves, just through rejection and denial, creating separation. I think it is really important for us to see that in every area of our lives, in every area of our minds, in every area of our hearts, in every area of our relationships, that fragmentation and conflict are always the children of separation. Wherever we make those separations, whether we make them to our prejudices, to our judgments, that conflict and hatred and resentment and distance are always the offspring of perpetuating and cultivating separation. And to engage in separation, to engage in a way, a life of separation, is actually an, an offense to our own integrity and dignity. It is a disservice to ourselves. Because in engaging in a life of separation, actually we we exile ourselves from the sacred, from any quality of reverence. I think in this journey, this does become clear to us. It does become clear to us that every step of our journey, every step of our lives, every step of our exploration, it really is a journey of the spirit that it really is a journey of, of dissolving through wisdom, distance, disconnection and separation, that it is a journey of dissolving apartness and division, 
And I think as it becomes clear, that becomes clear to us. We we do begin to ask ourselves, if the sacred, if that quality of being awake, of being free, if that doesn't lie in some special place or some special experience, then where does it lie? If that awakening, that real sense of liberation, if it doesn't lie in some other time or dimension, then where do we begin to look for it? There's nowhere else to go. There isn't anywhere else to go except to where we are right now, except to look at who we are right now. It's not even right to say, well, I will look inwardly for this sense of the sacred, for this quality of freedom, because that almost again implies that that the sacred is some sort of inner possession or inner territory separate from the outer. This whole journey is setting aside those divisions to really understand that if there is something that is sacred, it is in and through everything. It's not inner, it is not outer, it is not mine, it is not yours. It doesn't belong to experience, it doesn't belong to non-experience. To recognize that the divisions between inner and outer, us and them, these are the tricks of the mind. They are the tricks of ignorance. They are the tricks of delusion. And this whole journey is awakening from delusion, awakening from ignorance, so that the suchness of life, suchness of being, can truly be revealed to us. And what we do in this journey, we're just simply learning to open our eyes and learning to open our hearts to that which is everywhere and in everything. If we believe in separation, inevitably that we live by the rules of separation. We live with competitiveness, with seeking power, with gaining and losing, with accepting and rejecting, with success and with failure. To live in the way of separation is to live in a way in which we emphasize divisions and judgments and prejudices. And is to suffer the effects of all of that the effects of discontent and conflict, the effects of seeing these great distances between I and you. Living in the spirit of the sacred really means being willing to set aside all those rules, to see the emptiness of them, to really learn what it means to go beyond despair, beyond a sense of disempowerment, And it really does mean to have a passion for the sacred really above all else. And it doesn't require grand gestures. To have a passion for freedom, to have a passion for liberation, to have a passion for the sacred, it doesn't mean that we have to make, uh, you know, grand renunciations, you know, sell your house, pack up your business, donate your clothes to Oxfam and flee to a monastery. I don't think this is really what is asked of us. But this doesn't require that kind of grand gesture. If we accept that there is such a thing as freedom, there is such a thing as the unconditioned, there is such a thing as something sacred, we don't have to go any special place to find it. 
we need to look where we are, open our eyes to where we are. Now, of course, in our minds, we always often think, well, this is impossible. This is impossible. That's for the kind of the ascetics, you know, the people who, you know, do the two-year retreat, the people who have no uh, responsibilities in life. People have different kinds of minds than I have. You know, they must be sort of more karmically oriented towards enlightenment or liberation. We tend to conclude that this is really not possible for me. This is essentially a symptom of despair. It's a symptom of a lack of trust in our own possibility, a lack of faith. It is true, I think, that this journey, this really sincere journey and a journey of passion actually asks a great deal of us, an enormous amount of us. It asks us to be awake. It asks us to be awake to the signs of separation in our own lives, in our own moments, the signs that manifest in prejudice and conflict, the signs that manifest in doubt, the signs that manifest in limited sense of possibility, the signs that manifest when we're willing to settle for pleasure instead of freedom, the signs that manifest when we're willing to settle for security and safety, instead of liberation, we are asked really to be awake to all of this. Is this what we want? Is this where we want to be in our lives? What have we learned from it? What is possible for us? Not to react to those signs, not to become judgmental and say this proves it's impossible because look what I do and look what I am. This doesn't prove that it's impossible to really be awake to those symptoms of separation is really beginning to lose interest in them. It's really beginning to question their value, their worth. It's beginning to question our own possibilities, to have the patience to stay with them. But we don't always need to follow those signs because we walk out the village and see a signpost to Exeter. We're not doomed to go to Exeter. When we see a sign arise in our own mind that says, this is the way to to separation, this is the way to division, this is the way to conflict, we are not doomed to follow that sign. We don't carry some sort of, you know, prison sentence with us. that we We have to serve so much time in conflict or in division. What is awareness about? Awareness is about being able to see the sign. It is really understanding what that sign might might point to, whether it is where we want to go. Awareness is about being able to to let go because surely, surely if there is one thing that is a first step in knowing the sacred, it is our willingness to let go our willingness to let go of our images and self-definitions, our willingness to let go of our images of others, our descriptions, our labels, our concepts, to let go of everything that compartmentalizes the world into these separate boxes, into these vast divisions. 
that is what awareness is about, to stop and to open, to see that the veils of separation can really only fall away in this time and in this place. There isn't a different time or a different place that is better or more right or more conducive. In that sense, that return to the present moment, that return to what this moment, what is possible for us in this moment, is an acknowledgement that it is possible for us to seek that quality of freedom, to seek for the sacred with our whole being. Reverence is not a particular spiritual attainment. It is a transformation of consciousness and a way of being and a way of relating to everything in our lives and everything in ourselves. Reverence is a way of being where we emphasize not what divides, but actually what brings us nearer to the heart of ourselves, the heart of others. Reverence is treasuring oneness and understanding, compassion, really above all else. And there's a place for that reverence in every contact, in every relationship, in every activity, there is a place for us to honor, to see the worth, to see the value in everything that we do, in every word that we speak, in every thought that arises, in the ways in which we open ourselves to others, in the way that we listen, in the way that we receive, there is very little in our lives that is not worthy of reverence. And that quality of reverence brings enormous learning. It is our greatest teacher, in a way. That quality of reverence, of respect, it really teaches us, actually, how to find stillness in the midst of movement. Because there's no resistance, there's no prejudice. It teaches us how to find silence in the midst of noise because we really know how to listen. We are really present. It teaches us how to find calmness in the midst of chaos because we let go of avoidance, the willingness to be, our willingness to be there. That reverence is really a life of integrity. It's a life of respect. It is a life of connectedness. And in that, we see, we meet challenges, we meet disappointments, we meet failures, but we don't necessarily see them then as obstacles that we must overcome. So really, the, the difficulties, the challenges, the disappointments we meet, they actually teach us new ways to open. They teach us, show to us new depths of humility, of compassion, of generosity, of greatness of heart. The path of letting go, the path of honoring, they're like the two wings of a bird. The path of renunciation, the path of appreciation, they go together. They support each other. It is not that this practice is, you know, getting rid of one thing so another thing can emerge. It is constant balancing of both of those kind of wings, of letting go and honoring, of renunciation and appreciation. 
In that way, there's a kind of dropping away of the veils, and there's a deepening sense of connectedness simultaneously. It seems a difficult task. It seems a real challenge at times, this journey. We are extraordinarily blessed, though, because each one of us actually has incredible gift, an incredible power, in that we are all blessed with the power to be aware, the power to be awake. Surely this is the greatest gift in our lives. That power to be aware is what enables us to respond, enables us to learn, enables us to deepen. That power to be aware is what enables us to let go of the veils of separation allows us to begin to attend to the sacred in each moment. It doesn't mean in our lives in that journey that there's no pain, that there's no conflict, but there is no war. We are not at war with any of them. There may be pain, but there is no war created through rejection or through struggle. And we begin, too, to see that although there may be pain, Enormous amount of joy. Enormous amount of joy in being able to set aside fears, aversions, prejudices, judgments. The joy that comes with openness. The joy that comes with connectedness. That really we find peace amidst pain. That we find serenity amidst chaos. That we find spontaneity and generosity even amidst hardships. Our challenge in this path, it is not a challenge of getting better, not a challenge of improving, not even a challenge of going deeper. The challenge is just to be awake to where we are, to who we are, to what this moment offers to us. And in undertaking or absorbing that challenge, what we do encounter is an immense amount of opening, that quality of reverence, and a really deep sense that the sacred and that freedom cannot lie anywhere except where we are, with who we are. May all beings live with openness. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with wisdom. We have just a minute together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.